Today's episode is brought to you by So Surprised. So Surprised is a Learn to Sew subscription box that's delivered to your door every month. Each box will contain all the materials needed to make a complete project, along with a link to a video showing you exactly how to complete the project. So Surprise is perfect for anyone who wants to learn how to sew, and they have boxes for boys, girls, and adults too. Visit them at sosurprise.com to get started and use the coupon code while she naps to get free shipping on your first order. Thank you so much, So Surprised. And now here's the show. episode 102 of the Walshy Naps podcast. I'm Abby Glassenberg. Today, we're talking about in-person events with my guest, Benjamin Levesay. We're recording the show live and in-person at Stitches United in Hartford, Connecticut. This is a terrific show, and I am so glad to be here taking it all in. Benjamin Levesay is CEO of XRX Inc., publisher of XRX Books, as well as promoters of Stitches Expos. He is a second-generation partner in this 31-year-old company, originally started by his uncle, Alexis Zanakis, his father, David Zanakis, and their partner, Elaine Rowley. Benjamin has been part of the fiber industry since his family opened a yarn shop in Sioux Falls, South Dakota, when he was a small boy, an enterprise that later evolved into XRX. After a career in the software industry, Benjamin rejoined the company 11 years ago as CEO and Director of Marketing and Sales. He is more commonly known as one of the hosts of Stitches. It is his intention to carry on the legacy of passion and commitment that characterizes his family's contributions to the fiber world. Benjamin Levesay, welcome. Thank you so much, Abby. Well, I'm great so, to be here. Thank you. I'm so excited to talk to you, and um, thank you for having me at the show. Oh, it's it's a pleasure, and I, I really appreciate the opportunity to be able to talk to you and your listeners. Excellent. So, so you grew up in Sioux Falls, South Dakota, and or nearby. Yes, I I, I kind of grade school was in Pierre, South Dakota, which is the capital in the middle of the state, but. Uh, Junior high and high school, you know, again, where you have the most angst in your life, uh, that was Sioux Falls. So, yeah, I grew up in that area. Okay. So, um, I have never been there, and I'm wondering how your family got there. You know, when I was a kid, I used to say, really, we couldn't have just kept going west to to California? Because I've always felt like a displaced Californian. Um, You know, I I tend to be a little on the liberal side, and and South Dakota tends to be a fairly red state. Nothing wrong with that. You know, good people in South Dakota. And and now it's definitely home. I live in a little town outside of Sioux Falls. It's wonderful. But, um, you know, my my partner and very much family member, Elaine, who helped raise me, Elaine Rowley, the R in XRX, she had a... uh, a farm, a family farm uh, outside of town uh, in Alcester. Um, you know, uh, my dad went to USD as, as well as I did, although I didn't finish USD in Vermilion, South Dakota, which get about an hour away from Sioux Falls. Sioux Falls was that big town in the area that you know eventually everybody wound up in if they weren't if they weren't going to go you know somewhere bigger like Minneapolis or Denver or somewhere like that. I say, and is your family Greek? Uh, my uncle Alexis is Greek. It's yes. Greek. Yes. Okay. I was wondering from the last name and, yep. and the name XRX came from. Well, we used to be Golden Fleece Publications because we are, our store was named called Golden Fleece Publications, and then XRX came from the idea that I don't know. We should. I think we should have kept Golden Fleece. I think it was a great moniker for who we are. No one knows what XRX is, but XRX is Zanakis Raleigh Zanakis. Right. Okay. So you know so. the the L Levisay is silent. In that, <laughs> yeah. 
Okay, so your family, your family opened a yarn shop. What was the shop called? The Golden Fleece. That was called the Golden Fleece. Yeah. I see. Okay, and I'm wondering what made them open a yarn shop. I mean, that seems like a sort of an interesting, uh, I don't know, career path. Well, you know, you get into that. Uh, you know, my, my dad has always been very artistic. Uh, Alexis very artistic. Elaine had a small shop in a little town called Beersford and they all met there and they kind of got together and decided to have a bigger one in Sioux Falls, you know, and it kind of worked out like that. They've been, you know, kind of family and friends and business partners for forever. And, uh, you know, they, together, they, they found kind of a new energy and a, you know, a new inspiration, uh, for how they wanted to move forward in the world of, of business and creativity. I see. Did your did your parents have other careers prior to opening that, or sort of was that the beginning right out of college? They well, did Alexi was in the military uh, when he was younger, uh, when before he was in school, and my dad was a DJ. Um, you know, and you know, lots of men in my family have been DJs, um, and uh, I think Elaine was. I think she'd always been kind of in the crafting world. Yeah. Okay, so they were sort of creative and came together. Yeah as partners, yeah. business partners, yep. and created this yarn shop. And I know your dad was a weaver. He was. And he invented a unique weaving technique that he went on to write a book about. Well, I don't know if he, he invented it. He certainly, you know, he, he wrote a book called The Zanox Technique, which really kind of outlined rigid heddle and what you could do with the rigid heddle. Uh, back then, we were working with a company called Becca, uh, which now makes, they, at the time, they made uh, rigid heddle looms, but now they, I think they make mostly toys, uh, out of the Twin Cities, and he used to teach nationally on what was possible with original heddle loom pickups. You know, you can do a lot with it if you really know what you're doing, and that's kind of where he went. Um, you know, from there, you know, he had a weaving studio. He had apprentices. I served as his apprentice for many years, and uh, you know, learned a lot about weaving. Do you have siblings? I do. I have. Uh, I have step brothers and stepsisters. I also have a twin brother. Oh, nice. And is anybody else in the industry or is it just you who came back? And- no, nobody else in my immediate <laughs> family or, or related to me in in, uh, in first person uh, is in the industry. I do have uh, other people that are kind of related to second, third cousins in the industry. But Okay. So and you, when you, um, it sounds like you left college, you went to the Silicon Valley and, and worked didn't. in software? I did well, Tell us about that I, I, uh, I was a troubled teen. I, uh, I decided to move up to Canada, where my mom lives, and uh, bum around there. I ran a couple of restaurants. I ran a couple of stores. I learned how to be uh, an automotive mechanic. Um, I learned, I was spent a small time as a brewmaster at a brewery. Um, I did a, a lot of different things, uh, and I was up there for seven, eight years. And it was during that time that I met my wife, Krista, uh, who was originally from New Brunswick and later moved to Cranbrook, uh, British Columbia. And uh, we got married and had our daughter. And so it kind of had to grow up because it was time to be dad. And and it, I really do believe it, it helped me grow up and be more responsible and think less about myself, which is, well, you know, let's put it this way. It was I was overdue. I was should have been there a lot longer. So I kind of cleaned up my act and, you know, found out that I had a talent with computers. And so then later on, I there was an opening in my tw- early twenties for something at, at back home at, at XRX. It was a marketing director, and I had somewhat of the skill sets. And so they decided to give me a try. And so we moved back, and you know, things progressed. I left, became a a consultant, uh, an Apple consultant, and a part owner of an independent Macintosh store. And then I uh, joined a software company called Insider Software and 
stayed there for many years. And I know one thing led to another and I, I somehow wound up back in, uh, in, the, in the fiber world, which, yeah. which is good. Did you resist that? I mean, I know for so many companies, both in knitting as well as in fabric are family owned businesses and often second and third generation businesses. You're not alone. I mean, there's so many, it's, it's very common story. And sometimes there's sort of this period of like, oh, I'm not going to do that. That is not my dream job. That's their thing, not my thing. But then in the end, it sort of ends up being a wonderful thing. So I wonder if you went through that period. I did. Um, when I, you know, when I came down from Canada and left, the first, I was there for three or four years and I left and I thought, oh, it's, it's about time I left because, you know, it gets complicated with parents and, and, and it shouldn't be, you know, they should have the right as, as the founders to run their business, how they see fit. And just because you're related to them, you know, you shouldn't feel entitled to anything. And I'm not sure that, I'm not sure that I was that wise back then. Um, and so I, I think that probably was a good thing that I left. And it was a good thing that I went and did other things and, yeah. and, 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 you know, slay my own dragons on my own. And there were, <laughs> right. there were things that I accomplished on my own, but the way it kind of worked is they were, they were heading out of town. Uh, my folks, you know, the, the owners of X-Rex and they were talking about, you know, if anything ever happened, you know, that where's the stuff in the safe because they were heading into, they were actually going to uh, Peter Filotti in, in, uh, in uh, Florence and I started thinking about, oh, what if something happens and I've got to be responsible for liquidating all this stuff? And and then my dad, one time we were having a conversation and he was talking about, you know, what if in the next five years, you know, so-and-so, you know, and, you know, what do you think the valuation will be with the company you've given this? And the idea of hearing him talk about valuing the company that is really my family's lifeblood bothered me. And so they like the idea of a sale yeah, that yeah, it would that yeah, would leave the family. Yeah, no, and and, and, I, and that was probably very a very young reaction. Sure, you know? but it, at but the a time, gut feeling like time, that shouldn't happen. At the time, it bothered me yeah. enough that I actually inquired. Well, you know, if we're looking for another generation, have you thought about me? My wife was not originally a big fan, you know, especially when I came home and said, "Hey, honey." I'm going to earn half as much and travel four <laughs> times as much. Are you okay with that? You know, so she was a big fan of mine, but she sort of understood that I needed to do this. And, uh, you know, for the most part, it's been good. Sometimes it's, it's hard. Uh, as you know, this industry can be very passionate and that's good and bad in, in both directions. Yeah. And I wonder about the cultural fit because I know, I mean, you were sort of working in software, working with computers. Sure. That's a very, seem, seemingly a very masculine or, or sort of very different kind of culture sure. than, um, you know, I, the majority of customers certainly, and many, many designers in crafts are female. And I wondered if, how, how you felt about the cultural fit for you. Did you feel more at home, more at ease, or was it harder to get used to? You know, I don't know the answer to that question. It, it always kind of I, I don't, I think it cuts both ways. I don't think there's that big of a difference for me. I mm-hmm. think people tend to be people. Mm-hmm. I think I do find myself a little more comfortable around women because I, I just have always had a lot of women around in my life. Mm-hmm. Um, and I really admire women mm-hmm. and what they go through and the things that they do for a lot of things. I I don't know that, that being a, a guy in our industry has given me anything positive or negative. I think it cuts both ways. Um, yeah. I, I don't. I don't think it's. No, I, I don't think that there's anything in particular. I. I did. You know, I, I was back with the company when they were still doing events before, and so I had been through some of this before, for three or four years. You know, before I left, and so I, I was used to it. Mm-hmm. Um, no, there was nothing surprising. Uh, I, I think that. I think the thing that I that has been the roughest is that you know we 
we, in the last decade, especially, has probably been one of the hardest times in the fiber arts industry. You know, shops are having a hard time. Shops are closing. Uh, manufacturers are having a hard time. And so it's it's hard to keep everybody happy in, you know, in an economy that doesn't seem to see the end of the, the tunnel, the light at the end of the tunnel. Do you feel like that's because the consumer market is shrinking or do you feel like that's just because the way that these, the way retail works is changing so radically that people are shopping in different ways and not supporting the same retail stores that they used to? I mean, is it less customers or it just customers um, patronizing different kinds of stores? I would say that it's, I, I would say that my, my instinct is it's a little bit of both, but if I had to pick one over the other, I would think that it's, it's the way that retail, that retail is working. I think that, you know, there's, there's a lot of changes. I mean, there are people that, you know, there's, there's a lot more yarn in the market, which means that it's impossible uh, for any given yarn store to carry a sampling of everything. Right. It's impossible. Right. And so then it becomes really kind of speculative. I think that, um, you know, there are, there's, there, you know, there used to be in the old days, you never bought shoes or clothing online, right? Because you had to go and see how it fit, right? right. And people are past that now. And people always said, I mean, right. I know with Tony Shea, who founded Zappos, people right. told him, nobody will ever buy shoes right. online. You have to try them on. Right. And he's like, well, we'll offer free shipping and free returns. It's exactly and right. I can't tell you the last time I went to a shoe store, I buy all of my shoes and all of my family's shoes on Zappos. Right. And and I you know I think that there is something still about yarn and fabric and things like that that is tactile and people do want to come and see it. But I don't think it's the barrier that it used to be that if I can't touch it, I won't buy it anymore. I, I mean, th- there is definitely a certain segment and you'll see those people here at this show that definitely want to come and see it. And, and it's certainly something. pleasurable to see it. All. Absolutely, yes. absolutely. But I don't believe it is the barrier that it is, which means that the on that the that the the online retailers that are doing it well are going to see more and more success. Right, I agree with you. So tell us, take us back a little bit now to how this yarn shop, the Golden Fleece, right. how did this become XRX as it is today or as it has been in the last decade or so. I mean, you've got, um, well, you had Knitters Magazine, you uh, are a book publisher, you run these Stitches shows of which there are many. So that's no, that's no little yarn shop in South Dakota. So how how did we get there? So my dad became a big deal in weaving right away. I mean, he was, you know, nationally sought after, you know, because he was, he was doing articles in handwoven for Linda Legan uh, over at Interweave when she still had it. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, that, that, that got him a lot of exposure. And he did good pieces and he was a consummate craftsman and a good teacher. And so he was, he was out there doing, uh, traveling quite a bit, being a teacher of weaving teachers. And so there was, there was, a, I mean, this was way, way before the internet, but he, you know, he had a name and, you know, things were, things were moving along for him out and there. And Linda did a lot to help. Linda did. Promote the she industry did. and she create did. it. Yes. She did. And, you know, we all, and then we started having our own academies, you know, where we brought big weavers like, uh, Sir Peter Collingwood from England over to South Dakota, take over a, a little campus in Madison, South Dakota, and have a weaving uh, weekend called the Zanakis Academy. And, you know, just a whole stay in the dorms. And, you know, we were getting our feet wet always. And in the store, we always had in-store events. We were always something going on in the store, some demo. I remember myself, uh, there was a light pole outside and I tied 30 or 40 people off to the light, uh, light a table and taught everybody how to weave their own shoelaces with cards uh, when I was probably 12. I mean, we were always doing something kind of cool and interesting in the place. And so always involved in the community. Yeah. Well, I mean, if, if you can put 
a product in somebody's hands, that's fine. And that may get you somewhere, but you put the creative experience in their hands and you're going to win every single time. And that's the answer, I think, to what's going to make the retail shops stay. I do. I, I think <laughs> that's that the, the answer. answer the, success, right there. the successful retail shops tend to be community centers or activity centers that, oh, by the way, happen to sell yarn. Correct. And I think that works. But the way we started this, we had these little getaways and we thought, okay, so really bad story. I'm going to tell a story and it's not, and she's admitted to it. So it's, 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 <laughs> it's been out there. But my dad wove some pieces for a piece for uh, Linda in Hamilton. And it got put aside and put aside. And, and they were a very busy organization. And then when she put it out, she forgot like half the text. And it was a bad article. Oh, no. And my dad, you know, this is how he made his living, right? His, based, his yes. cred was based on this. And we got the issue. And he, oh, he was devastated. Like, you know, angry, <laughs> calling, calling the line. And it's head in his hands. And I remember we were sitting there at the Pizza Hut with my twin brother, Elaine, Alexi, David, and, and I. And I had just gotten back from playing Miss Pac-Man with my twin brother. And we were, you know, we were ninth grade or 10th grade. I can't remember. And uh, the world had ended. I mean, my dad, head and hands, you know. And Alexi piped up and said, well, you know, let's just start our own magazine. I mean, how hard could it be? I mean, those are the famous words of creation. Every so often you're a bit round. And this was in the 80s. Yeah. Uh Yeah. And so the first magazine we had was not Knitter's Magazine or Weaver's Magazine. It was actually called the Prairie Wool Companion. I know, very cute. We were we were so cute back then. Um, and the concept was we wanted to build a magazine that was actually what we're doing now today, which had all the crafts that a yarn store does. This United is actually us getting back to our roots and going to all the places that we love for creativity. It had crochet, it had weaving, it had knitting, it had hardunger, it had everything that a yarn store, with the idea that this would be a, a creative thing that yarn stores could take as a supplement to help all the things that they were doing. We had no idea that other yarn stores didn't behave like we did back then. So we just assumed that everybody, you know, did all these Naivete is a very helpful thing. (laughs) And we built this magazine called The Prairie Wolf Companion, and literally dozens of people uh, signed up for it. Uh, We were very proud of it. We took it to market at TNA, and they just said, look, that's not the world. And so it really got reduced to what the world was back then, which was knitting and weaving. And it became two different magazines. One was called Knitters, and one was called Weavers. And we had to, like sort of brush off all that other cool, you know, stuff that we had in there. It's very sad for us. I see. And, and that's because sort of consumers wouldn't the market purchase wasn't something. There. It was back then, especially. You were ahead of your time. I Maybe. Uh, but back then, really, it was very supplier side driven, right? I mean, everything was subsidized by the supplier. The suppliers basically advertised in a quid pro quo manner for projects being in uh, a magazine. And they didn't want to they didn't want to advertise for anything but a knitted garment. And that's just the reality. That's right. Yeah. Okay. Right. So you couldn't get it. So, okay. So you got these two magazines sure. and you had this very unusual shop that was having um, a lots of events and bringing people now internationally in, you know, well-renowned teachers to, to teach. Um, and then when was the first Stitches event? Well, we had eventually gotten past being a yarn. We, I mean, by the time we were into magazines, you know, we realized, okay, we got to stop doing this uh, yarn store because it's. So did you sell it or just close? We that? closed it. Okay. Yeah, we we had a big sale. Uh, we closed it. Um, yeah, we we. I mean, you're like we're going to be a publishing house. Yeah, and, and we got offices. You okay. know, we still have all our looms from the old days. I, I have the countryside loom that is my favorite that I stole from Elaine when I was 17. 
and I'm never, never giving it back. <laughs> um, we, you know, we still have all that stuff around right. and everybody still crafts, you know, although sure. Elaine does more quilting and sewing than anything else these days. Uh, she used to be the knitter, the crazy knitter, but now she's uh, a sewer and a quilter basically. And, uh, but yeah, we, we had to become publishers. Right. And then we got into books because mm-hmm. that made a certain amount of sense to us. And then, you know, Alexi has always been the crazy one. He's the photographer and the inspiration guy. Right. I noticed yeah. his name is the photographer credit yeah. on many of the yeah. books that you publish. Right. And maybe all of them. I don't know. Yeah. Right. Okay. And he's an exceptional textile photographer. Uh-huh. And, uh, you know, it, and it, it actually is when you see the world through his eyes, it's a beautiful place. You know, it really is. And the way he looks at things, there's opportunity and there's creativity and there's inspiration. Mm -hmm. And I think it takes that kind of an eye to come up with the idea of something like Stitches. I want to take a minute now to talk about our sponsor, So Surprised. So Surprised was founded by Lori Bennett, a teacher who left the profession to stay at home with her children when they were young. Her passion for sewing turned into a full-blown fabric store. But then she decided to go back to teaching. So she had all this fabric inventory and needed to figure out what to do with it. Her daughters were getting to be teenagers and were ordering a lot of different monthly subscription boxes. So Lori decided to combine her overstock of fabric and sewing supplies with her love of teaching. And that is how So Surprised was born. So Surprised is a little bit different than many of the other subscriptions that are already on the market in that the boxes go in a specific order. So everyone who starts begins with a beginner box, and then every box that follows builds upon it so that you get new skills. You start with the simplest box, and the projects increase in difficulty each month. At first, Lori was only providing boxes for children, but she had so many teens and adults requesting boxes so that they could learn to sew. So she expanded into options for girls, boys, teens, and adults. Lori creates a YouTube video to show what is in each box and also to walk the subscriber through the process of completing the project from start to finish. This way, the learner can go at their own pace and watch the video over and over again as many times as they need to to get all the steps. At the end of the year, the subscriber will receive a certificate of achievement and can switch over to receiving a more general sewing box each month to build up their stash and have more freedom to choose the projects they want to tackle. So head over to sosurprise.com and use the discount code while she naps to get free shipping on your first box. Thank you so much, So Surprised. And so it was um, 26 years ago in Cherry Hill, New Jersey, in, uh, well, it'd be in September, I guess, that uh, they put together the first stitches. Uh, some of it was even on the racetrack there. And uh, yeah. And what was that concept? The concept was that you would have this knitting and crochet. It was really very knitting. Just knitting. You right. would have this knitting show right. where yarns would be on display and there'd be classes and exactly. demos. Yep. Yeah. Okay. And, and there was. And there, was there anything like that on the market? Yeah. I have no idea. So. Not, not really. Okay. I mean, not really. And and I should say that the, the industry as a whole didn't react to it all that positive. <laughs> what were some of the not so positive oh, reactions? You know, it, it, I wasn't there, right? But, you know, it, my dad always describes it. it. It looked like a scene from uh, an old Frankenstein movie where the villagers had pitchforks and torches and were coming for you. you know, Why? It, what would make I, people upset you know, about I, being able to buy yarn in one place? Because it was really outside the traditional go to your local yarn store and let them control the industry at the, at the ground level. It was very much a difference in, in that, a, a, a departing from that. 
I see, because you're bringing all of these brands together. Or is well, that- I mean, yeah, you're, you're offering, you're, you're basically throwing a party. You're bringing everybody that will come. You're getting all these names that are an attraction to the end users. You're bringing all this yarn attraction to new users. And, you know, it, and for a yarn store that maybe felt like it was their area that didn't want to participate, you know, it, the, the suppliers were also very protective of the yarn stores about this at the time. Um, and it took a couple of years for people to sort of go, okay, this is an okay thing. And, you know, they're not going to kill us. I mean, one of the things that is important to us, and regardless of what people may think is, we really do believe that we have to be good stewards of the industry. We don't want to hurt anybody. We really don't. I'm not saying that, you know, it, that we haven't hurt people, but it's never on purpose. And it's hard to just walk throughout the world and, and never, you know, create any kind of a problem. But when we do, we try to fix it. You know, we try to go back and say, well, look, that was bad. I'm sorry about this. You know, how can we do it better? How can we be more fair? But this was just one weekend out of the year, right? So that one weekend, yes, the people, the yarn buying public is buying yarn elsewhere. Sure. And maybe seeing some celebrities, designers, or learning from some experts for that one weekend in September or whatever it is. But it's not all year long. But just even that feeling like they're, you know, extra income had been spent then and was no, you know, no longer available or, you know, I don't know that I'm the right person to analyze the way that they've done, but here's what I think that it is an honest thing to say. And, and the way that I tend to think about it, I think that change is hard for people. I think it intimidates people. I think they could see that this would have some kind of business ramification and I don't blame them for worry. I don't. Could they have been perhaps somewhat kinder? Sure. But I think it's at this time, it's time for an alley, alley, oxen free and, and let all that stuff go. Yeah. I just was saying anecdotally, it was interesting at that, that moment that, that we, the industry didn't rally behind us and right. say, this is a great idea. Right, 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 right. Yeah. So, so your newness felt threatening rather than exciting maybe I think for so. some people. I at think least so. At and, that that, and that's unfortunate because I, I really do want, and I know my folks wanted to, and, and maybe we haven't been great at expressing that. I, I hope that I can do better as we move forward, it, it, that we want this to be inclusive. I mean, what I want is the local yarn stores, the local quilt stores, the local sewing stores, especially now that we're doing this cross uh, uh, crafting thing, is to feel welcome here. I want them to come to me and talk to me, mm-hmm. me personally, and say, why should I come here? And have them come and have me help them be successful here. I, I mean, I want to come into an area and throw a big party and spend a lot of money, introduce you to some people, and then leave. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and have, sort of and in the wake of that, leave the local yeah. people here excited, maybe more excited yeah. to continue and to patronize their local Absolutely. shops. This should be a marketing opportunity. Mm-hmm. I mean, if you were if you were in selling speedboats or you're, you know, and there was a, you know, a, a big boy toy show coming in, you wouldn't think about it. You just take this show because it's a marketing opportunity. Right. Like a, right. Know. So it sounds like the, perhaps still there's some feeling among local shops when Stitches comes to town that it's not 100% positive for them, but your feeling is actually it is 100% positive. I think it can be. I think that, I think it can be. And I think that, here's the thing I would say, here's the way I would challenge. Anybody that doesn't feel that, I would challenge them to send me a quick email. Let's get on a phone call. Let's just talk about it, you know? Tell me how it's bad and let me get and then listen to me. I'm 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 willing to have that conversation one on one every single time. And maybe with some data, like I think sure. maybe some sales data sure. that could show what happens sure. then. But not even just that weekend, because obviously the yarn buying public is elsewhere. But also afterward, people who come in or don't come in and saying they, they met someone at Stitches or they were introduced to this idea there. Sure. 
Sure. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you know, one of the uh, the, the greatest uh, stories that we have is, you know, they're, they're no longer in business. There's a, a shop called Prolescence out in California. And one of the owners now works for us at the show. Her name is Nathania. And that was the thing they looked forward to. And they were so smart about it. They would have as soon as it was out, they would get the list of homework and they would send a, an email out to all their customers and say, we've gotten a list of homework. We're having a special evening event. Come on in and let's get you settled with all the supplies for your homework, right? And then they And have, that would be for the classes at Stitches. In other right, words, yeah. you're going to take these classes, come here first, right, come we'll here prep the, everything right, with you together right. as soon as the show and book, make it exactly. sort of a co-marketing opportunity. Right, and as and soon as soon as the show book was out with all of the vendors, they would have a party. Okay, let's let's have a strategy about who you need to see and who we think is cool. And they would come and do that. Then they'd have their own booth there and they'd use it to collect names uh, so that there was cheap way. And they'd sell stuff and they'd get a hold of their manufacturers to help put things in the fashion show. And they really worked the situation so right. it was a true positive thing. It was a short-term cash flow influx for them. It was an opportunity for them to collect names for their list, which would be part of their ongoing marketing. And it was a chance for them to build really, community, yeah. get people in. And it was it was fantastic. Right. The so way there is a way to oh, do it if you're open yeah. to yeah. embracing. Sure. Okay. sure. Interesting. I think there's always a way when you have a nexus of people and when you're talking about designers, consumers to make a positive thing happen out mm-hmm. of that. And if the positive thing you need is, is income, I think that's possible. There, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Okay. So, so I see how this path evolved. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I think it was last year, um, XRX made the decision to shutter Knitter's Magazine. Yeah, it was at the beginning of the year, yeah. Okay. And um, so just talk a little bit about that choice. I know, obviously, publishing is in, like retail, is undergoing a radical shift, and magazines in particular. And so what led to the idea that it was time to close Knitter's Magazine? Well, it's very, first of all, the, the publications are very personal. Uh, to us. I mean, it's, it's a family company. I mean, if people have this idea that we're a big company and we're not, I mean, there's 14 of us, you know, right, so and, 14 people are full-time employees right. at XRX. And, uh, okay. you know, of them, you know, there are four of us that are related uh, in that group, you know, uh, including my wife, who's in accounting. Um, but we have employees that have been there with us forever. Um, there's a gal named uh, Caroline, I won't say her last name for obvious reasons, but she was there from, I think, issue three uh, of the magazine over 30 years ago. And uh, that's what she did. And we had a production department and we had a, a managing editor that's now retiring. And at the beginning of the year, I mean, it's not like Elaine and I, who are in charge of the company, looked at Nair's magazine and said, this is a healthy publication. You know, we, we, we knew it wasn't. But we always also looked at it as it was something for advertisers. It was something that helped stitches. And, and so, okay, maybe it didn't make a lot of money. Maybe it even lost money, but there was a value added that we could bring into stitches. But we knew it wasn't smart, you know, to be doing this. And, and there was other things that we wanted to do. And we knew that the, the title knitters kept us in a, a niche that, that we didn't want to be. We wanted to start going out to a cross platform. At the beginning of the year, two of our steadfast employees said, hey, we want to retire. And they're certainly at the retirement age. But it surprised us. We thought it was going to be next year for both of them. And it's totally fine. You know, they've been with us decades, you know, I mean, you can't blame them for that. And we realized we could close it without eliminating their jobs. And that was really important to us. We, these, some of these people, we are who our people are. I mean, we, we can't do that. Some of these people that were, I mean, so, I mean, yes, did we probably keep the magazine around longer than it should because we didn't want to show zero employees to the door? Yeah, we probably did. 
And so that's probably primarily the thing that happened. It just isn't in our nature to be able to do that to them. They would, they were there for us for the good years, and you know, they needed to be there for us for them when the bad years. And so it turned into a place where there was going to be no downside. Right. And so we took advantage of it and said, okay, you know, now's the time. Now's the time. And we, you know, we kept Rick, the editor, around because we really had this idea that in order for us to to succeed, we need to invest intellectual capital of our own into these shows, Mm -hmm. not just pick up on other people's. And so, you know, we started a new website that we're premiering this weekend called stitches.studio. And it's actually the web address too. Uh, And showing knitting garments for free online and sewing garments and quilting garments. And we're going to go all over the place on these things. It just put good quality content. To start doing content marketing, which was what Knitters Magazine was. In an old media In an old sense. media, exactly. But we're now we're going out to... Because you're saying it was even a loss leader. It wasn't really even yeah. making money. So it whether... It wasn't worth the printing. That's the biggest thing. You right. Know? And then chasing down all the things and then trying to to condense an article so much just because of printing costs. Correct. You know, you, what you end up doing is we never wanted to be like the last edition of Newsweek, which was which was a leaflet. We, all we wanted to be at the end a full magazine. Go out strong. We just did, yeah. And... I mean, sometimes I think we do the wrong thing based on our own sensibilities, but it's just kind of how we have to do things in order to look ourselves in the mirror. And yeah, it, it turned out that way. And we all shed a tear. I mean, this, you know, my, my twin sure. brother, my twin brother is on the cover of K1. What is his name? Aaron. Aaron. Okay. And, you know, he's wearing an original Elizabeth Zimmerman uh, garment. I mean, these things have a lot of yeah. history for us. So. Sure. That's your family. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Okay. So, so we've got this new website sure. that's launching, which is going to have some content marketing pieces there. And then, um, you really focusing on expanding stitches yes. and investing in stitches, both adding new shows and, and new markets yes. and also expanding what's offered. So here we are at stitches United in Hartford. And is it, am I right in saying this is the first show where we also have sewing and quilting along with yarn and weaving and, and other things like that and cross stitch yeah. maybe as well. Yeah, we, we, we definitely went, you know, we always say that our four patch is turned into a nine patch with all of the, the things that we're doing. And yeah, and this is who we wanted to be for a long time. And I think along the way we'll change. Um, you know, I don't yet know how, how adaptable say a long arm will work with our world, which is essentially hand and slow stitching you know, or say machine embroiderers, whether that's going to be a thing that, that crosses well into our world, but we're going to see, and we're going to try. And that's the best you can do is try these things. But we know that there, there are sewers and quilters that knit and vice versa. And I think there's a huge opportunity, I believe, to teach them uh, something else. I, I want to get away from that, that moniker of I'm a knitter, I'm a crocheter, I'm a, a you know, and, 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 t- and move toward more of a, you know, I'm these kind of renaissance crafters really that can do multiple things and 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 try to see the joy of that kind of thing. I mean, let's say you're a weaver, for instance, you know, and you weave. Great. Okay, you've woven. I mean, you have a I don't know, 40 inch piece of, of cloth that you woven. Great. Okay. How many table runners are you going to weave? I mean, or are you eventually going to sit down with a serger and and cut the thing and, and sew it into a pattern? Or you know, and, we, and we've already done this with our knitting books, you know, and making jackets. You know, you knit the cloth, you, 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 you cut the cloth, you sew the cloth together. There are opportunities here that abound. And I think there's fun things that people that like to work on, particularly with their hands and small projects like English paper piecing. 
I just think that there's a huge opportunity here to expand our base and to figure out a way to make new neuters and crocheters as well as to make new sewers and quilters, expand both bases. I don't see why we can't do that. Yeah, it's been interesting to walk the show. One of the things that I noticed, um, are there some products here that you don't typically see at a quilting show? Um, one of them are beads. There's a lot of beads um, because people incorporate beads into their knitting and into their crochet um, and um, and also maybe in, with stitch markers and things like that. So there's quite a lot of beads. Um, and then there's also um, a lot of like lotions and hand care um, products, yeah. you know, and you know, the knitting and crochet is handwork. And, yep. um, but, you know, sewing is too. And when I go to the sewing shows, I, I don't see as many, uh, there's some, but it's not as many. And so th- those are uh, products that as a person who comes from the sewing side of things appeal to me and certainly could do well in a sewing context. And so anyway, I just thought that was interesting. Yeah. There again, it's, it's a kind of an interesting mix and we, and we actually trying to keep the number of those boosts down a little bit. You don't want too many of those things. No, but you they're add ons. Yeah, they're add ons. They're, they're, yeah, they're an ancillary market, right? And and especially, you know, we, we've got a good number of beads down there too. And I'm, I'm happy about that because beads are fun and there don't tend to be as many bead places anymore. So I'm, I'm hoping they do well. I've got to check in with those folks to see. You know, this is an unusual market and we don't know what's going to be successful yet. Right. I mean, this is an experiment. This is an experiment. And we, we do have uh, merchandise already for our our Midwest show in August and our Texas show in September, some sewing and quilting as well, but not as much. This will be the show that we always do more from and try to learn from and have it be an incubator. For the it. one here in the Hartford. one, yeah, the okay. one. Well, wherever wherever it is united. Okay? I see. And uh, you know, I'm not. We used to have a show called Stitches. This is Stitches United, and I care enough about the Stitches United brand that it will continue to be Stitches United, even if I move it somewhere else. Okay. And the United Show will always have multiple. I, that is my intention, my, and I decided to come back here because we had a good time, a good run here in the early days uh, for Stitches East, and I know the people, and I, I knew that there was going to be enough new at this show that knowing the convention center was going to be a real plus. And I also knew that the East Coast folks were missing us too, and I, I kind of felt bad about leaving them for two years. And XRX Books is going to continue to publish. I think so, but I think what we're going to do, I mean, again, you, you look at the money and you look at the distributors, you look, I mean, we used to do a ton of money with just selling books into the local yarn stores, and they're just not, it's not the way it works anymore. Right. I would imagine that, that XRX Books will have some printed books, but it will continue to be more digital books in the future. I think there's a market for that. I think they'll either come out on digitally as PDF or through a stitch chip that we use. Um, but, you know, one of the things we're going to try really hard to do is to keep some of these mediums off of Amazon to at least give the local yarn stores and some of the local shops a, a fighting chance. Okay. So tell us what the stitch chip is. You told me earlier and yeah. it's fascinating. Well, I mean, it's, it's, uh, it's kind of, um, it's a little bit counterintuitive. I mean, why would you put cost of sale against a digital publication, right? But people don't necessarily want to log into an account and create a user and, you know, have me know everything about them in order to get a digital version of a book. And the and it's also a point of purchase thing. So, so this is a USB. It's a USB drive. Drive right, with, with that's preloaded with, with an ebook. Right, right at the lower point, and it's it's and big enough. They're that sold at local yarn shops. Not yet. We're, when we go okay. back, we're we're planning on trying to put a program together, and whether that will be successful, I don't know. It could be that stitch chips will only ever be successful at these shows, and they are successful. And they're shows. sold, so they're right. So the pr- first market is to be sold at shows. Sure. Yeah, because people can walk in and they can say, "I like that." Gosh, it's about half the price of the regular book. 
but it's still large enough that I can have the uh, author sign my USB drive because they're they're about a business card size and the author will sign it for them. That's interesting, right? It's so it gives only, you space right, to sign. It's the, only, it's, it's the only way that I know of to be able to have an author sign a digital edition. Right. Right, right. So they they look like a business card. Yeah, they do. I, I, are uh, they um, are they paper in the same way that a business card is, or are they made of plastic, kind of like a Visa card? Or they something? are a plastic. Oh, they, here we they go. Have, they have our logos on one side. All right, so you can't see this, but it basically looks like a credit card, and there's a little kind of fat area right, and that you, is the USB area, and oh, and it pops out. And then you plug that right into your computer. This is, oh, thank you. <laughs> this is super handy. Really cool. So is this something that you've trademarked? It's called the Stitch Chip. I, I've trade, we, we've copyrighted the name, uh, Stitch Chip, S-T-I-T-C-H-I-P-S, right? Got it. Yes, and, that works. And, uh, you know, as far as I know, we're the first publisher doing something like this. Yes. I don't think it's, it's right to, I mean, you know, it, and it's got the name of the book, and I mean, it's got the photo of the cover right. of the book on the front, right. that, so that you would know which one, one is which. The one you're, 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 you've got right there is something I think you'll find really interesting. It is embroidery on top of knitting. So you've done the knitting, and then you do hand embroider over certain stitches to get a really interesting effect. I this think is called Splendid Apparel. By Anna Zilborg. Yeah, I think you'll really enjoy that. Do take a look at it. I, I think will. You'll enjoy it. So yeah. interesting. Okay, so you're sort of thinking through new ways of getting this content to people in a way that they're going to pay for, right. but still feels special and accessible and is off Amazon. So is that book on Amazon? The, the book is on Amazon. The PDF isn't, and the Stitch Chip never will be. Okay, so if you want a digital version, you have to come, you to, have to, come right to, to my website. And I don't know how I to see. do a port through. I'm not using Ravelry for that right now, and I may at some point, but I kind of think that that's not going to be the way. I think that the way I'm going to try to move forward with retails is through the Stitch Chips, but I, my intention is to not go to, if Ravelry comes, or sorry, Ravelry, if Amazon comes and says, you know, I, we want in, I'm going to say no. No, right. So this is your software, you coming out through I'm the knitting. I, I'm channeling my inner geek. You're yes. channeling, right. But it's, 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 uh, it's useful here because you're able to, to maybe think outside the box or uh, innovate in a way that maybe people who don't have that background wouldn't be able to foresee. I'm hoping, I'm hoping that if we can make these lighter and more cost-effective, for the retail stores, that there's a way that they can make some money and have less risk with these books, you know, and maybe it'll make sense. Maybe it won't. Um, we'll see. I'm going to try. I'm going to sure try. Mm-hmm. Neat. So you had a podcast for a long time. That's how I first heard your voice was on the Fiber Hooligan podcast. I listened to many episodes I had in 2000 and oh God, I don't remember exactly when, but a couple of years ago, I had set myself as a goal to learn about the yarn industry uh, for the year. And so I listened to many episodes of that podcast, among a few others, in order to educate myself. And I wondered uh, sort of why you decided to start a podcast, what you learned from it, and then why you ended it. Sure. Um, I, I think the reason I started it, I, I mean, kind of my dad was in radio. Uh, my brother, Aaron, was radio. I was in radio. When you I have was, a good voice for radio. I always say I have a, I have a face made for radio. Yeah. And uh, Olivia hates it when I say that. But <laughs> you I, should do voiceovers. I, I've done voiceovers. Have you? Yeah. Okay. And, 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 you know, I've done, you know, work for, you know, anyway, it's... it's Yeah, it's something you enjoy. It, it isn't, actually. I, I get very nervous about oh, being on do. stage and in front of people. But anyway, I, 
I've done it because, you know, again, I, I know I have a, a kind of that FM voice. You that, do. Right. And, and it's, it's hereditary. I, it takes no training whatsoever. My brother has it as well. And my dad, he has this beautiful, gorgeous I voice. listened to the episode where you interviewed him. Isn't his voice amazing? <laughs> yes. Yeah. And he's just a sweet man too. But um, so I, I've always missed radio. I was just like, and I used to, I used to be in a college station late at night where I could do anything I wanted, you know, so it's fine. And, uh, <laughs> Um, but I was going through a time where it seemed like almost once a week I was on somebody else's podcast and you've done quite a few. I have, I I tend to, to get interviewed and I'm happy to do, I always feel very grateful that anybody wants to hear my silly story (laughs) one more time. Um, and you know, and it's always good. And I always feel like oftentimes what I'm talking about is the stitches and I feel like I should do it because it's my job to do my very best to promote the market for the vendors and, and the market and the, 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 teaching experience with teachers. I mean, I have to do everything I have to do, can do really to make sure that they're successful. Sometimes I'm really good at that and sometimes I'm not, but I really do want to try. Um, you know, I, I can certainly say that I have, I've failed on occasion, but I've never not gone to sleep saying, yes, I've done everything I could do today. And I started thinking about the stories in our world um, that weren't being told or weren't being told in the way that I wanted them told. I've always wanted kind of a Sunday morning-esque kind of a show and I'm particular. I mean, you know, and that's what, why I wanted to do it is also what led to the downfall of it. Uh, you know, for me, it often was, things are that way. It really is. Even it in was, relationships, the thing you liked about the person in the beginning is the, the thing that crazy, drives you right. away at the end. So I wanted this thing. And it, I, my process was, you know, in, first research, then booking, and then an hour long pre interview, then an hour interview, and then a lot of editing, and then post the show, right? And it's a lot more work than people think it is. It really is. (laughs) It really is because I was compulsive about my editing and I, I split the tracks on, you know, the, my voice and the other voice on two different tracks so I could really go in and manipulate. You geeked out. Yeah, I really did. And, and my kids were growing up, you know, my, my daughter is just, uh, this weekend I'm missing it. She's her, she's doing her senior art show. She's graduating from college. And I'm not missing your graduation, but I am missing your senior I'm sorry art show. you're missing it. Yeah, these things happen. I mean, because yeah. of stitches, I've missed countless anniversaries and birthdays and things like this. There it's, are a lot of sacrifices. And, and it's fine. They, they're okay. I mean, the big things, I've been there for. Yeah. And uh, my dad is going with her. Uh, That's good. So that she's not alone. And he was happy to do that. He's more of an artist anyway. He'd appreciate it more than I am. <laughs> um, my kids were growing up. Yeah. And I was... It was taking too much time. I was losing time uh, every day. And I... I just, yeah, I really loved it. I loved learning about things. I loved telling stories. I loved knowing that by the time I had done an, uh, an interview and posted that, that the story was really told. Yeah. And, but it was killing me doing yeah. it. And, and so, it, I, you know, I think I did about 80 to 90 episodes and then I just called it quits. And, uh, you know, they're still out there. Uh, people can still go get them. And every so often uh, I'll get a, a call or an email saying, Why, you know, when are you going to come back? I don't think I will. I, I've a- been asked, I was asked one time to fill in for somebody else's podcast and it was a live podcast and I, and I couldn't make it, but you know, I may show up again. Mm-hmm. And do you, do you really drink Diet Dr. Pepper? Was it Diet Dr. Pepper? No. So that's, that, that, <laughs> that, that is, that is. Or is it just Dr. Pepper? It's Diet Dr. Pepper. It's Diet, I was right. It's Diet Dr. Diet Pepper. Pepper. So. Uh, I actually really like Diet Dr. Pepper. So every time you said that, I was like, oh yeah, I do want one yeah. of those. <laughs> so, so, so several, several of my closest friends drink Diet Dr. Pepper, including one of my dear friends, uh, Jessica Nelson, uh, 
who is actually down at the registration desk. Uh, she's Mavis's secondhand person. And, uh, you know, she was around when I was developing the whole thing. And that was kind of like a little and, tip of my hat to, to, uh, to Jessica. And, Just uh, so for people who haven't listened, in the beginning of every episode, you yeah, were like, I, you know, sit back, I, have I, a diet I, Dr. Pepper right, or something yeah. like that. Yeah, no, I, I'm a quirky kind of guy. <laughs> I mean, I, there's things that I say sometimes that I, I know people kind of go, what? What was that about, you know? But yeah, I, some of these things are little inside jokes that uh, just kind of float out. Got and it. There are a couple of Easter eggs in the shows, you know, that, that are inside jokes. But yeah. We won't go there. Right <laughs> now. But that, that's where Diane Tech Group is Jessica. Got it. Okay. So I want to make sure we get to your list. Um, and because people absolutely love to hear recommendations. So we're going to get there now. And um, one of the things you wanted to recommend were zombie apocalypse novels. I don't know if I want to recommend it. I was asked, <laughs> I was asked what books What books do I read? And, and, what and that's I like. what you're reading. And so, yeah, I, I have an affinity for the zombie apocalypse genre of fiction. Can you tell us a title that is especially not to be missed? Probably uh, Newsflash. Um, Newsflash. Right. And, okay. and, I, and the author is uh, uh, Mira Grant. Okay. Out, and she is got to have the scariest imagination and most unique take on, uh, on zombie apocalypse uh, genre. As I mean, I, I just sit and refresh Amazon all the time to see if she brought anything new. <laughs> She's fantastic. Okay. I'm, that, to, I'm totally obsessed with her work. That you know? is good to know. I, I would never uh, have heard about that before, and I, I'm not sure I, I'm going to go there. But I have a 13-year-old who has quite the morbid um, personality, so perhaps she will. Well, I had so. a knitter that turned me on to her. Oh, okay. Uh, we used to have, uh, she runs a podcast. Uh, her, her name is Jasmine, uh, and Gigi run Knitmore Girls Podcast. And she, Jasmine used to be an intern for XRX years and years ago. They're out on the West Coast. And she heard that I like this and she introduced me to this name and I started reading and, you know, I'm obsessed now. So it's, it's, it's a fellow crafter's reason that I'm there right now. Got so, it. Yeah. Okay. And you also wanted to recommend being a homebody and just hanging out around your house. And I think that's funny because I... Uh, would recommend the same thing. And my kids are like, you know, they'll be home for two or three days and they're like, I'm bored. I'm like, I'm never bored. I literally walk around my house. I have so many projects. I could just stay in my house alone for weeks and weeks and work on all my projects. It, it's the truth. Yeah. I, I, I am an introvert. You know, I have to get on podcasts a lot and I have to get up on stage and, and be, play the fool and play the, the host. But I get sick to my stomach every single time I have to get up in front of a crowd and, I'm never happier than when I can sit quietly and work on a project or work on you know, some website materials or work on some strategic planning or, or even just read a book. I never get enough time to read anymore. And there's all that zombie apocalypse now that's <laughs> waiting, for, waiting for me. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think as you get older, the, uh, the, the, the nightlife kind of loses its appeal pretty darn quickly, you know, and, and I'm to an age now, you know, I'm getting closer to 50 now. I'm not old, but I'm, I'm certainly not interested in going to the bar anymore. Right. Uh, I've got kids, um, right. you know, uh, my wife and I have been together for almost 25 years now. I said, you know, that's, you know, that's not going anywhere. I mean, we're, we're happy and, you know, that I, I don't, I don't know. I, it's hard for me to be bored at home. I, I, I live in a great little house in Harrisburg, South Dakota. 5,000 people in this town. And, you know. Is all of XRX based in South, South Dakota? Dakota? Is I, that where your staff yeah, is based? Yeah, for the most part. Although there are people that come to this show that just come to the show and work for us that are in different places. There's mm -hmm. 
let's see, Judy is not from South Dakota, and Nathaniel's not from South Dakota. And so there are a few employees. Yeah, that just that just, just do the shows. Right, right. Yeah. I see. Yeah, that are not based there, but for primarily people are based there. Yeah, yeah. Well, okay. You know, home is Sioux Falls. And what do you do um, to relax? You enjoy exercising? Do no, you? No, I should you exercise don't? more. <laughs> I, you know, last year, and I may do it again now that the weather's better. But last year, I was I was uh, walking around doing Pokemon with oh right Go, Pokemon with, with Go. my with my son. Yeah, he was 16. That got a lot of people outside. It did. It was, he was 16. And, you know, and I think he was talking the other day about wanting to run up to the park and I was busy getting ready for the show. And I last couple of months have been back to back shows and a lot of prep and I haven't had any time to even sleep, you know, but, you know, now I'm kind of getting into an area where it won't be working quite as much anymore because we're sort of caught up on things. And we have a kind of a hiatus between shows. And, yeah, it would be good for him. To, I mean, it was good. I, I sort of enjoyed it. Um, I know it sounds silly, but I, I remember uh, at Stitches yeah. Midwest last year, I took a whole bunch of people one night from the show and we went out and we're going to towers and doing battles. And yeah. Like so <laughs> I think it was a good try. It I mean, was. Yeah, you were looking at your phone, so it was augmented reality, but it was, I don't know, it was still reality. Well, you were still outside in the park when maybe you would have otherwise been at home on the couch. When my daughter was going, I've always tried to do something to try to stay in touch with them, right? Because I work a lot and I, I feel guilty. You know, I do that. I work. How a lot. many hours a week would you say you work? Sixty or seventy. Okay. Yeah. I mean, easily. I mean, I don't really stop. You know. Yeah. Um, and it's all weekend too. You know, what I try to do on by Friday afternoon is get myself all together so I have all the assets I need so I can get something done in during the weekend. And there's always a weekend project. You know. Yeah. And and that's just been re- recently. And I'm hoping that we really can. Uh, you know, it was there was show and then a show and then a show and the show. We got a huge bunch to go. And the United was a big thing for us because we had. You know, never worked with getting sewing machines to classrooms before and, and dealing with those kinds of yeah. things. There's a lot of things we had to learn for this particular show that, yeah. that was not repeatable. But now we've learned. Now you've and, got it. And, and we've we, got you notes. You have to build new connections. Right. right. And, and you have to build, you have to change yeah. your infrastructure a little bit yeah. and your procedures. And that's good. Um, Do you have I mean, to up your insurance? I'm just wondering yes. because you've got sewing machines, which yeah. are, okay. Yeah. I thought, thought so. Yeah. yeah. So it's well, a whole different thing than a knitting needle. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, and everybody, every every vendor has got to carry a certain amount of liability sure, insurance of course, too. They you know? do. I mean, it's yeah, it is it's a lot. It, it it yeah. It's a lot to a lot of balls in the air. It right. is, but yeah. you know, so so yeah, I, I try. I've always with. I've been trying harder and harder to manage. I mean, when my daughter was in high school and you know, reading like the Divergent series. I read the Divergent series. So right? you could talk to her about it. You know, yeah. when, she, when she was a little younger in high school and she read the Twilight series. Yes, I read the Twilight series. I could speak yeah. sparkly vampire. Women. <laughs> and uh, Somehow you know, I think you might have liked them, though. I, <laughs> Not just doing it for her, but I, for you too. I, I refuse to comment <laughs> okay. on that because, uh-huh. because, yeah, they're so sappy. They're so good. Yeah. <laughs> I'm always good for a good Hallmark movie too. Yeah, you, know, I, you, yeah, know, you but, strike me as somebody who would be. <laughs> You've got a soft side. I, I yeah, I, I <laughs> yeah, it's terrible. But I mean, during Christmas, the Hallmark Channel is on almost all the time. You know, if I watch too long, I just start weeping. You I know, bet. Ice it's terrible. <laughs> well, Benjamin, thank you so much for taking the time to be on the Walsh Naps podcast. I really enjoyed talking with it's you. It's been a pleasure. Yeah, it's been great. So, and thank you for having me at Stitches United. You're very welcome. Please come back. I will. It's a great show. So you've been listening to the Walsh Naps podcast. I'm Abby Glassenberg. Visit my blog, walshynaps.com, where you can sign up for my email newsletter to get the best in sewing and blogging and small business delivered right to your inbox each week. Thank you so much to So Surprised for sponsoring today's episode. So Surprised is a Learn to Sew subscription box that's delivered to your door every month. Each box will contain all the materials needed to make a complete project, 
along with a link to a video showing you exactly how to complete the project. So Surprise is perfect for anyone who wants to learn how to sew, and they have boxes for boys, girls, and adults too. Visit So Surprised at SoSurprised.com to get started and use the coupon code while she naps to get free shipping on your first order. Thank you so much, So Surprised. And if you enjoy the show, tell a friend about it. Thank you so much, and I'll see you next time.